Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. Um, so we set aside 10%, as Melissa mentioned, to give away uh, to outreach and missions. And so this past week, I received some photos of some funds that we, not of the funds, but what we bought with the funds uh, over in Uganda. So uh, we bought all of the kids at the Dreamland Children's Home new sandals. I think we have a few photos of that. They were pretty excited about their new shoes. Uh, we also bought them a set of hair clippers because they were like, you know, we have to spend a lot of money cutting hair. Um, 120 kids, it adds up. So we just bought them a couple of clippers. Uh, and then also they have a dump truck that they use for transportation and to make income and need to do new tires. So we bought new tires and batteries also for their dump truck. So uh, thank you guys so much for your generosity. It allows us to be generous around the world as well. So thanks for that. All right, so we are going to start off today with another top 10. All right, we'll be doing that through this uh, summer. So the, we're going to do the top 10 worship songs in the United States as of like this past week on uh, CCLI. All right. And you guys have to guess them again. All right. So how many of you think you got this? Let's see. Nobody. All right. You guys are excited. Here we go. All right. Number 10. Let's play it. Shout it out if you know it. What is it? Who You Say I Am, yeah, by Hillsong Worship. That's number 10. Good job, good job. That's a little bit older one, a little bit older one. Number nine, let's hear this one. Do we know it? What's King of Kings, yep, King of Kings by Hillsong Worship. Number, <laughs> or by Lighthouse, whatever you want to say. Number eight. House of the Lord, yep, by Phil Wickham. Number seven. Recognize it. What's the what's the title? No. Living Hope. Yep, Living Hope. There we go. Living Hope by Phil Wickham. Number six. What a beautiful name, yeah. What a beautiful name by Hillsong Worship. You notice there's a lot by Hillsong and Phil Wickham here in the top ten, don't you? All right, number five. Graves into Gardens, yeah, by Elevation. Uh, number four. Great Are You, Lord. There you go. Great Are You, Lord, by all sons and daughters. Number three. Waymaker. Waymaker. Leland. That's Leland's version of it. Number two. Build My Life. That's right. Build My Life by Pat Barrett and Chris Tomlin. And then, anyone got to guess what number one is before we play it? 
man, that's some good songs. But nope, nope, nope. All right, play it. Goodness of God by Bethel Music. Goodness of God, yeah, by Bethel Music. We do a lot of those songs here, or we've done a lot of those songs here. Um, and I enjoy, I, I love listening to worship songs, but I love doing these top tens because it's, it just, again, it reminds us of what's popular out there, what's really good, you know, who's the best, you know, the top ten whatevers uh, in the country or around the world. But um, we are in a series about God's original top ten, right? It's a study on the Ten Commandments. And I believe that these are really important to God, and they should be really important to us. Our word for this year is passion. It's passion. We want to become more passionately in love with God. And one of the ways that we can show God that we love Him is to care about the things that are important to Him. And so back in the Old Testament, God laid out a list. He actually made a list of the 10 most important commandments to him. And so we're going to take this summer and we're going to study those. Even though many of us have heard them before, we've watched the movie, uh, we learned it in Bible school, I think we're going to take a fresh look at them, see how they applied back, you know, 4,000 years ago, but then take a hard look at how they apply to us today. All right. Um, now, before we jump into the Ten Commandments, though, we're doing a little bit of a, a history of the world. Last week we did part one. This week we're doing part two. Uh, last week, just a reminder, uh, we talked a lot about Abraham and Sarah. And remember that Abraham was one of those individuals that spoke with God. God actually spoke to him. And he gave him a promise of the promised land and that his descendants would inherit the promised land. And yet he was childless didn't have any children, 75 years old, didn't have any children. And uh, so about 10 years later, his wife, Sarah, is just tired of waiting. And so she sends her slave girl, Hagar, to Abraham and says, well, have a child through Hagar. Maybe we'll have this group of people, our descendants through Hagar. And Ishmael is born, and that was not God's plan. We talked about that last week, and it hasn't gone well since that day. Now, 15 years later, Abraham is now 100 years old, Sarah's 90 years old, and God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled, and Isaac is finally born at 90 years old. 90 years old, she has Isaac, the promise from God that they've been waiting on for at least 25 years. All right. Now, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. That's where we're going to begin today. Because God speaks to Abraham again. Isaac, at this point, we don't know his age, but he's somewhere between 5 and 15 years old. All right, so Isaac is growing up. Everybody's happy. God comes along and he talks to Abraham again. So let's read what he says. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. 
That's not what Abraham expected to hear. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So just think about that. Abraham had waited and waited and waited and waited for this promise, you know, to, to have Isaac. And a miracle happens, and his 90-year-old wife has a son, Isaac. It's his precious child, and he's so excited about it. Now, God had spoken to Abraham several times. We read about that through Scripture. But every time, it was the same thing. I have a blessing for you. I'm going to have children through you. Your descendants are going to be like as numerous as the, the, the sand on the seashore. I mean, it was always positive things. And so you got to imagine when Abraham hears the familiar voice of God, and he says, Abraham, I mean, immediately he's like, here I am, Lord. What do you got for me today? This is going to be excited. I mean, this is going to be exciting. And then what happens? The unspeakable happens. God says, take your son, whom you love, I know you love him, and kill him and burn him as a burnt offering to me. I mean, that's, that's tragic. What does Abraham do? He gets up early the next morning, prepares, and sets out. That's the faith of Abraham. That's the obedience of Abraham. He didn't question God. He didn't, he didn't delay. He immediately obeyed what God told him to do. I'm guessing he didn't tell Sarah what he was about to do. <laughs> so I'm guessing. Sarah, we're, gonna, we're just going to go for a trip. Can't imagine that he told her. All right, but now let's, let's go down to verse 9, and we're going to read... Uh, what happens when they reach this place. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not, change, do, not do anything to him. Now I know that you have fear, that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham obeyed God even when it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense at all. Like, why would, you, why would you have me wait for this promised son and then tell me to sacrifice the son? How are you going to do this? But yet, Abraham still obeyed God. We can't understand the greatness of our God. We just can't. We can't understand his plan. We can't understand his purposes but we just, just simply have to be willing to obey God, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation. Isaiah 55 says this, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
God's thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. We're not always going to be able to understand what he's doing. We're not always going to be able to understand why he's asking us to do the things that he asks us to do. But we can be sure of God's will for our life, though. We can know what God's plan is. Abraham had an advantage. He talked, like, to God face-to-face. I mean, he, he knew God's voice. They had conversations. So it wasn't like he had to, you know, wonder, is this God telling me? He knew it was God. His decision was just simply, am I going to obey? Now, for us, it's a little more difficult to understand sometimes what God's will is for our life. Am I supposed to take this job? Am I not? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to stay? Am I supposed to go to this church? Am I supposed to go to that church? I mean, we have these questions all the time. But let me just say, God will tell you and he will confirm what his direction is in your life. Let me give you some examples. So uh, in my life, God has asked me to do some crazy things. He asked me to to leave a a job that I love, to go work full-time in ministry. And then he asked me to leave that full-time ministry job, to go start a church over in Elkhart and and see how that goes. I mean, these were big decisions that had a lot of implications to my career, to our financial security, all those things. And so I would seek after God and say, God, is this really you? Is this really you? And I want to share with you four ways that God has confirmed in my life his will again and again and again. And he will do this for you as well. So the first way is just through scripture. God is never going to ask you to do something that he won't confirm through scripture. Scripture is stated as his word. It's his word. That means he's already spoken it. He's already told us his plans for our life and direction for our life. And so if we feel like God is telling us to do something contrary to Scripture, then Scripture will overrule it. Does that make sense? We can trust Scripture. So if you're wondering if you're supposed to do one thing or the other, look in Scripture, ask God to speak to you, and he will. He will. Second way that God speaks to us is through spiritual mentors. Like if you're thinking, man, I think God's asking me to sacrifice my son. Talk to a spiritual mentor, all right? I'm guessing they'll say, I don't think that's God's will for your life today. All right? Um, Recently, uh, just this past week, I have a friend of mine. He's in ministry, and he feels like God is calling him to move his family and to do something kind of radical. And uh, he, he called me up and just said, hey, can we have lunch? I said, sure. So we got together for lunch. And um, while we're sitting there, he explained to me what his plan is, what he feels God is asking him to do. And and then he looked across the table and he said, am I crazy? You know, this is is a risk. Am I crazy? And I was able to tell him, no, you're not. I really believe that this is what God is asking you to do. I don't feel any red flags on that. I, I think that this is what God is asking you to do. And so I'm not the only spiritual mentor in his life that he went to, but that's one of the things that we can do is we can ask people that we trust, that they hear from God and say, is this, what do you think I should do? And just listen to them. Man, it, it is scary to try to discern the will of God without having people in your life that you can go to and ask them. I shared this once before in a message, but when I was quitting my job at the hospital to go into full-time ministry, Every single person I went to said I should do it. And I was mad at them because, like, 
why would you tell me to do this? But every single one, I went to probably at least a dozen people, different people, and every single one said, I believe this is God's will for your life. And I believe in hindsight that it was God's will for my life. But it was hard. It was scary. Uh, number three is situations. You know, do the circumstances in your life push you towards a decision or push you away from a decision? I've, I've watched people where everything in their life is saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And they're like, man, I really think I'm supposed to do this. I'm like, why would you think that? This not working out. Uh, I explained this one time uh, to a ministry director at another church who was trying to do a certain type of outreach. And the outreach was, how we described it, was like, like pushing a worm up a hill. Like, you know, it just, it's not easy to do. It was just really, really hard. And we, we prayed about it and we said, you know, I don't know that this is God's will. God has other outreaches that maybe he wants us to do. Now, I, I don't want to minimize the fact that we do have an enemy who does try to put roadblocks in our way. Don't get me wrong. We do have an enemy, but greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So we can, it's through prayer, through fasting sometimes, we can overcome the works of the enemy. So the enemy will try to sabotage God's will in our life, but he won't be able to. God is going to put up a lot of hindrances that just really make it hard if that's a direction we're not supposed to go. So, so evaluate your, your situations and your circumstances and see if you feel like God is blessing it or his blessing is not on it. And then number three is just simply God's spirit within you. We can know God's will by God's spirit within us. God's spirit will either give us peace in a direction or we will feel apprehension in a direction. So you can actually sense that. If you, if you quiet yourself, spend time with God, and just kind of play through those scenarios. God, am I supposed to go left, or am I supposed to go right? And in my situation, I, I, in my life, I've seen so many times where God will give me peace in a direction, and even just thinking about going another direction, I'll feel apprehension. And then there are many times I'll say, well, I'm still going to do it, <laughs> and I'll step over there, and, and I wish I hadn't, right? I mean, I wish I hadn't, but we cannot make decisions based on our mind alone, what we think is best, and we certainly can't make decisions based on just how we feel, right, on feelings alone. It's important that we get confirmation, especially on significant life choices. Now, Abraham, again, he heard it from the source. He knew what he was supposed to do. It's harder for us. It's harder for us to discern it. But my experience has been if we take time and walk through these four different areas, we will get, uh, definitely get the confirmation we need to know the direction we're supposed to walk, okay? I wanted to uh, read in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter. And I'm going back to Abraham. Abraham is mentioned a few times in Hebrews chapter 11, there are, it's a list of the heroes of the faith. And in that book, it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into what Abraham was thinking. Okay, he heard from God, he knew God's promise for his life, but he still went out to kill his son and to sacrifice his son. So listen to this, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, that's Abraham's faith. He believed that even if I kill Isaac and sacrifice him, God can raise him up from the dead. That's why Abraham is listed as one of the heroes of the faith. He went on to, uh, to say that this is the place that God would provide. It's actually, in Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh is what he called that mountain. And we sing a song you know, called Jireh. But God will provide. So here's a question I want you to ask yourself today. Do I believe in a God who will provide even when it looks impossible? Do I believe that God is bigger than my circumstances, that he is bigger than my situation, and that he can come through even when it looks impossible? Here's your fill-in. Don't try to understand it all. Just trust that God will make a way. He's our way maker, right? I've seen that so many times when I've looked at an impossible situation and God came through with this, in the situation in a way I w- never even thought about. He will make a way. He will make a way. All right, years go by. Sarah dies at the age of 127 years old. Abraham is 137. Isaac is 37. Abraham buys a field and buries her in a cave on that field. And, uh, and I thought this was interesting because that cave actually uh, exists today. It's called the Cave of the Patriarchs. Um, Abraham and Sarah are both buried there. Isaac and his wife, his grandson Jacob, and one of his wives are buried there. It's located in a city of Hebron, Israel, about an hour south of Jerusalem. This is what it looks like today. Uh, in 70 AD, King Herod of Judea built a temple around it as a place for the Jewish people to, to worship. And, and I point that out because sometimes we look at the Bible and we look at, you know, Old Testament and we think, oh, that's a, that's a cute story. Is it, is it real? And yeah, it, it is real. There is a place where Abraham was buried and where Sarah was actually buried. And there's this temple today. Now, side note, uh, the Muslims took that over at one point and uh, in some of their wars. And, uh, you know, the descendants of Ishmael. And, and so they claim that as a holy site as well because Abraham is their descendant, uh, their ancestor through Ishmael. And so this is a contentious spot uh, today. All right, now, after Sarah's death, Abraham decides that it's not good for his son Isaac to be alone. Isaac is 40 years old. So he sends one of, Abraham sends one of his servants up to the place where he originally came from, from Turkey, okay? He sends him up to a town called Nahor. I think we have a a map of that. Um, And his servant immediately finds a young lady named Rebecca. Uh, It's kind of a God story. And uh, Rebecca is Abraham's grandniece. She's not married. 
And so she leaves right away and comes back and ends up marrying Isaac. Genesis 24, verse 67 says, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I just thought that was interesting. We don't always hear kind of the storyline that's going on behind the scenes. So Isaac's mother died. We saw that. Isaac didn't really move on very well. This has been months, if not years, after his mother's death, and he's still mourning her death. And uh, Abraham sees this, finds a, a wife for him, a companion, and he is comforted. I just want to point out, I didn't know if there's anyone here today that you are in mourning. You're in mourning. You're sad. And I really felt like when I was putting this message together, God wanted me to say to you, don't mourn alone. We need each other. We need people in our lives and we need to be willing to share our heart because that's how we can get through grief. That's how we can get through the other side. You don't have to have a lifestyle of grief. Um, so make sure you're including people in your journey, including people in your journey. This is your fill-in. We need each other, especially in our sadness. In our sadness, that's sometimes when we want to be alone, but I believe that we need each other, especially when we're in grieving. So include people in that journey. Now Abraham realizes that it's not good for him to be alone either. How many of you knew that Abraham got married again after Sarah? How many? That's kind of an interesting fact. He has four more, no, I'm sorry, he has six more sons. He marries a lady named Keturah, and he lives another 38 years. Didn't know that. But at 175 years old, Abraham finally dies, and he is buried by Isaac and Ishmael. Remember Ishmael, the one that Sarah kicked out of the house? He didn't like Isaac. Isaac didn't like him. They came back together in a family crisis. And they buried their father. Now, this, the story goes on, and it shifts to Isaac and Rebekah. Rebecca is unable to have children. We, we know that Sarah didn't have children, you know, until she was 90. Um, but for the next 20 years, Isaac and Rebecca are unable to have children. Isaac finally prays to God, and God answers his prayer, and she gets pregnant with twins. With twins. That would be, I'm glad we didn't have twins. That would be rough. That would be rough. Um, but these two twins are fighting. They said jostling within her. And so she goes to God, Rebecca goes to God, and just says, hey, Lord, what is this all about? In Genesis 25, verse 23, it says this. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So she knows that she has these two twins, and that the older is going to serve the younger. So what's really interesting is, and again, if I was writing the story, this isn't the way I'd write it. But, you know, this is just what happens. So the first child to be born is red and hairy. I mean, not like just a little bit of hair on the head. It says that his whole body was like a hairy garment. 
<laughs> Think about that. That's Esau, okay? So Esau is the first one to be born, which Esau means hairy. Now, the second one was still fighting his brother and hanging on to his heel. As, as Esau is born, Jacob is still grasping at the heel. And so they named him Jacob, which means he who grasped the heel, which is an idiom meaning deceiver, okay? So he was actually, Jacob meant deceiver. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting how they, they kind of live up to this as well. Um, the boys' personalities are very different. Esau is a hunter. He likes to go out into the wilderness. He doesn't need a jacket, right? He's got all this hair. <laughs> he blends in, doesn't need any camo, you know? And then Jacob is more of a homebody. He likes to stay in the kitchen. You know, he's kind of a mama's boy. So that's the two. Well, one day they had this incredible confrontation, this situation that happens uh, that really changes everything. Because remember, Esau is the older one, and then he comes in and he's famished. I'm going to read this really quick. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. <laughs> Jacob was smart. I'll give him that. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, we don't quite understand birthrights, you know, in our culture today, but it was really, really important back in, in this time. Uh, the eldest, with the birth, part of the birthright was they got a double share of the inheritance, so that's worth a lot. They also got the, the privilege of being the head of the household when the father dies, so they become the new patriarch. And they also then received the eldest son's blessing, and he just sold it all for a cup of soup. Now we think, oh, that's, that's terrible. Why would Esau do that? But I would say we do that today. Maybe not for a, you know, maybe not a birthright for a cup of soup, but what we do is we sell our future blessing for immediate gratification. Don't we do it? I mean, that's what a credit card is. Let's just, <laughs> that's what it is. I want to buy it now and I want to experience and love whatever this thing and enjoy it now, and then I'm going to pay for it later. Sometimes a lot later, just this payment, right? It's the same, that's what a snooze bar is, right? The snooze button. That's what it is. The alarm goes off, it says you're supposed to get up. you got things to do, whether you're going to work out, read your Bible, go to work early, whatever it is. And we give that up because that's something good for us, but we give it up for 10 more minutes of sleep. <laughs> Am I getting too personal here? <laughs> we hold on to grudges and unforgiveness, right? We hang on to that because it's, it's, it's too hard to, to face somebody and work through reconciliation. And then that that turns into weeks and months and years of not speaking to one another. And spiritually, I'd say just about every sin 
is about immediate gratification, isn't it? I mean, we, we know we're not supposed to do whatever we're going to do, and yet we go ahead and plunge ourselves into sin just for the fun of it, knowing we're going to feel awful later. We're going to feel awful later. So here's my encouragement to you today. Don't sell out your future joy for immediate gratification. We can learn from Esau's mistake, because that was a mistake. That was a huge mistake. And I would imagine that Esau was so upset later on because he gave up his birthright. Now, he still tries to hang on to it. Even though he sold it, he still tries to hang on to it. Abraham uh, is now 40 years later. And I'm sorry, Isaac is now over 100 years old. He's almost blind and about to die. And he tells his son Esau, hey, I'm about to die. I'm going I'm to pray and bless you. That's the plan. I'm going to pray and bless you. But first, go, go shoot me something. You're such a good hunter. Make me some stew. You know, bring it in, and I will then bless you. Rebecca hears this, and so she tells her son Jacob, and they come up with a plan, and she makes some stew, and she puts goat's hair on him, like on his arms and the back of his neck, puts goat's hair, like some goat skin, um, that's how hairy Esau was. I mean, he was, that's, that was the substitute. He puts on Esau's clothes, and he goes in, brings the soup, and uh, he deceives his father into getting the firstborn blessing. Now, that was part of God's plan all along, but, but that's what Jacob does to receive the blessing is through deception. Esau, of course, finds out about it, decides he's going to kill Jacob as soon as his dad dies. Rebecca hears about this and sends Jacob away. So Jacob uh, goes up to Haran. This is where his uncle lives, Laban. And he runs into Rachel, beautiful Rachel. That's what he was. He just fell in love with Rachel right away. This is Laban's daughter. And so Jacob decides, I'll work seven years for her. I'll work seven years for her. And then the seven years fly by, and it says, it seemed like only a few days to Jacob because of his love for Rachel. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful story, love story? But on the night of the wedding, Laban substitutes Leah, Rachel's older sister, for Rachel. And he wakes up the next morning, and he looks over, and this is not the woman that he had worked seven years for. This is her older sister, which some interpretations of Scripture would say that she wasn't very cute. That's kind of what, what it says. And Jacob is, of, of course, upset. But one of the things I thought that was really interesting in this, now, just to finish the story, he then ends up working another seven years and uh, marries Rachel as well. So he's now married both sisters. But one of the things I thought was really interesting is that the deceiver, Jacob, is deceived. We can't miss that point. We can't miss that point. Scripture says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. It's this concept of 
if we do this, if we're trying to do this, it's going to come back to us, right? It's going to come back to us. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, it might take years. But just, just know that if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. It's going to happen. But the same is true as well. There's a promise. If you sow to the Spirit, if you sow to the good things of God, you will reap good. It may take years. It may take years. But it's worth the effort. So your last villain is this. What goes around comes around. You guys know that one. Definitely was true in Jacob's life as well. Well, you're well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.